0: two more weeks in our series on grace wins and we've actually timed the series so these two weeks are our launch sermons for the year because everything we've been working on moves to this point because grace does not truly win if we haven't learned to let it shape our relationships with one another in the body of christ and then with the world around us so we have looked at the depths of god's grace in scripture we've looked at the theology of it those were some pretty deep lectures and overviews we celebrated the impact of god's grace on our lives and as i said last week this is that part where for some of us grace stops being magnificent and starts being inconvenient because ultimately you are either a conduit of god's grace Or you are not receiving God's grace. Grace is like water. It can give life or it can fall into a cesspool. The difference is, is there an outlet? That's the difference. Does the water come in and then have a place to go where it gives life? Or do I just take it all in? Those places kill life. Those become swamps. A lot of Christians that think they've experienced grace and they're cesspools because it's all about them and their place. You haven't really received grace, and you don't get it until you've given it to others. Right? That, that, by the way, is the principle behind where the Lord taught in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive as we forgive. Somehow, there's this mystical connection. My ability to receive forgiveness from God Uh, requires a position of my heart where I understand that I'm just like everybody else and if I'm asking God to forgive me then with that comes a willingness to forgive others Uh, grace follows that that same pattern and so that's what we're looking at Ron started us pastor Ron Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 two weeks ago where he talked about in view of God's grace his mercy in our lives we are now to offer our whole lives as a living sacrifice for him and it begins by reframing our thinking reprogramming the way we think last week we saw that the very first place where we are to change our thinking is about ourselves that was verse three let's say it together do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought but rather think of yourselves honestly and properly. Now, if you're in the NIV, you know that it actually says, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. And you might be thinking, Tom, what, what version is PTV? That's Pastor Tom's version. <laughs> this is what I think, as we've taught, is an accurate Paraphrase because the word sober can sound very negative, but it's actually meant positively. It's an accurate, it's a clear headed view of who we are. We can think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but we need to think highly of ourselves through the lens of God's grace, right? And so that's what it is. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself honestly and properly. And so as we move forward, I have to tell you, I'm going to hit this again because. If you don't get this part, then you'll never be able to live out the rest of the chapter. If you don't get that you have to think properly of yourself in order to be a conduit of God's grace in community, which we're going to double down on today, and then in culture around us, then you will not really be able to give God's grace. You know, people who think too high of themselves can do an awful lot of good things, but it's not true charity. It's condescension that's not Christian we're seeking true charity charity is the root word for grace it's rooted in us embracing what grace means for us so it starts with a proper view of ourselves so here is rule one in a grace-filled life that's what Paul is saying and I'm going to build this statement for us to embrace together the first part of the statement is if I can see myself honestly say that with me if I can see myself honestly what does that mean That means to recognize that apart from God's grace, I'm in desperate straits, right? The very first point of our whole series was those who fully embrace and receive God's grace are those who understand their, do you remember? That's the impact it had on you right there. Thank you, That, (laughs) that dead silence. Are those who understand their desperate need for it? That's part of an honest view of myself. An honest view says I'm a sinner in desperate need of grace with a broken view of myself and others. I have a very limited understanding of the true nature of things. And that means that, to be honest with myself, I have a, a skewed view of the world. One of the ways you know you think too highly of yourself than you ought to is that you think you've got it all figured out. You think you know the problems in our society. You've got the right political positions. You've got every other ethnicity figured out in your worldview of things. All you have to do is listen to you. You've got it all figured out. None of us has had enough experience, talked to enough people, heard enough people's stories to think that you have the right to decide how everything is. I am a broken person. I, by nature, tell stories to myself about myself you do too and I tell stories to myself about other people based on the story I tell myself about myself that's thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to we need to recognize that we are sinful people God's got the only person with true wisdom and understanding his ways are not our ways We need to submit humbly to that. Because if we don't, then people will be measured by that story, not by the true story of who I am apart from God's grace. But if I can get there, if I can see myself honestly, but also optimistically and hopefully, and that's the part of the verse when he says, but think of yourself with sober, accurate judgment. Reality is... I'm nothing apart from God. I love the way Paul ended his sermon last time he preached about God's grace when he said, in the end, when you do my eulogy, don't talk about what I've done, don't talk about, uh, you know, what I've said. Just point to God's grace. I just want, I want it to be about God's grace. That's who we are. And because of that, I can embrace. I asked Malia to do that song. She opened, Saturday night, she opened with the Uh, the song we just sang before the sermon. I asked her to change it up so we were singing it just before this because that's who I, I love that, that I can say in my Father's house there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. We celebrated that. In Christ, I am blood-bought forgiven unconditionally loved adopted into god's family i'm a recipient of god's undeserved grace that is who i am and i am who god says that i am right that's a humble but godly and empowered posture i find my identity completely in the finished work of jesus christ and the grace that i've received And that allows me to treat others. And that moves to the next phrase. If I can see myself honestly, but also optimistically and hopefully through the lens of the cross, then I will see others in the same way. And I will treat them with the love and grace of God. I believe this is what Paul is getting at as he wrestles with what grace, what the cross, what salvation, which is the whole first 11 chapters of his book to the Romans, is getting at. As he wrestles with what it's supposed to look like, he knows this is the make-or-break reality in our life if we're going to live out grace. Say this with me. If I can see myself honestly, come on, say it. If I can see myself honestly, but also optimistically and hopefully, then I will see others in the same way and treat them with love and grace. This is God's will for all of us. He begins this whole teaching by saying, because of the grace God's given me, speaking about his apostolic authority, he says, because of this, I say to every one of you, this is not optional, this is not something for you to think about, this is who you are to be as a follower of Jesus. And this is the person that God uses to bring grace to the world. Got it? Thank you, Ron. I need 8, 10, 12, 40 more of you here. Encouraging the preacher. Yeah. All right. So now, how does that grace look? And he's going to first look at the body of Christ. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Open it up. It's page 803 in the Pew Bible. Let's turn to it. We're going to focus for the remainder of our time on four verses, beginning at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the lord's people who are in need practice hospitality now the next verse begins with bless those who persecute you and some of you may think well that's talking about the church too isn't it (laughs) because you've experienced some of that in the church but no he's turning the corner there He, he right now he's talking about what the body of christ is supposed to look like and then next week we'll pick up with the next verse which is how we bring grace to a culture even a hostile culture and that's where we'll end the series and we'll call ourselves to be that in this space in the quincy village space and in our city for the rest of this year Uh, that's really our, our our theme for the 2019 school year what does it look like and he starts with this phrase love must be sincere hate what is evil cling to what is good the greek word for love there is one of four Greek words. It's the agapeo. It's the divine love of God. And of course, that's the only kind of love that can produce the kind of thing we're looking at. You, you can't come up with a human-based love. This has to be modeled after how God loved us, and it has to be God working divinely through us. But the word I really want to focus on for a few minutes is the, the word sincere. It's anuprokritos, And it that that last part of the word pokritos we get the word hypocrite from and other words like it Um, and it literally means without a mask and it's referring to greek theater Uh, now if you've ever seen images of greek theater you 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 know that they used masks to portray characters this is the chorus and a lead actor two or three actors would play multiple roles in greek theater and the way they changed it was to put on a mask And so what what Paul is saying is that true, true love, godly, authentic love, can't be possible if we're wearing masks and we're hiding who we are. Of course, for most churches, this is the mask we tend to wear when we show up. Yeah. Did you know the smiley face was invented in the city of Worcester? Did you know that? Yeah. What else? I learned something else today. Zippers were invented in Worcester worcester's gift to the world is the zipper so good life-changing lots of other things bob koozie right yeah worcester's great well, anyway the smiley face that, that's how most of us show up i, ha- I had uh, one of the women in the early service come up to me and said i gotta tell you a funny story A a woman she's very close to. They're very friendly, and and it was just kind of funny the way this turned out. But um, you know how we show up in church, and we have these ways of of saying things without really saying them. What we mean is hi, but what we say is how are you? And then the person saying hi back, but what they actually answer is the word one word, fine or good. Right? That's all part of the masks we wear. Right? So. She had had a hard week. And so her friend said, how are you? And she said, well, it was a hard week. And then right away the friend said, hasn't the weather been great? (laughs) And then she had another one came up to her. They're all in the same life group. And she said, how are you doing? She said, well, I had a hard week. And she said, well, that's honest. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. These are all good people. But it's a good example of how we have roles that we play and all that plays into the masks that we wear we cannot be an authentically grace saturated community which is in all of our language as a church if we don't learn to deal with each other outside of our masks we all wear them we all wear masks to hide sadness pain or sin or when we feel insecure weak or inadequate we wear masks for fear of being rejected, exposed, or hurt. But here's the problem. When you show up with a fake persona, you lose your real identity in God's community. And then, when you get what you're hoping for by wearing your mask, acceptance, affirmation, and love, here's the problem. You're not actually the one receiving it. Your mask is receiving it. The real you is receiving nothing. And ultimately, wearing that mask keeps you from authentic relationship in the community and authentic relationship with God. But here's the thing. God knows what's behind the mask, right? God knows you. He knows what we've done. He knows what's been done to us. He knows what we're afraid of. He knows what we need and he loves us anyway and our identity isn't defined by the masks we've worn our identity is defined by the finished work of jesus on the cross by what the bible says i am that i am yes i am that we are loved by him that we are forgiven that we are new creations that we have become the righteousness of god in christ 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we share an identity fused with the king of the universe. That's who I am. That's who God says I am. Yes, I am. That's who my identity is. True authenticity comes when we trust God with who he says we are. And when our relationship with God is honest on the inside, then who we are on the outside will follow. And we can authentically love others and God unashamed, without fear, and without masks here's another thing about masks not only do i put a mask on myself but i put a mask on you if i'm wearing a mask then i'm putting you in a mask as well you show up with yours but but i have a mask for you as soon as i meet you because of all my experiences and all that i'm thinking my my story that i have about the way things are and about life I immediately show up with a story about you. This is 100% true of all of us. You meet somebody, in your mind, you immediately put them in some kind of a notch based on their color, based on their social standard. It might just be based on somebody they remind you of that looks like them and talks like them. Immediately, that experience becomes part of your assumptions about that person. We all do this universally, guaranteed. We put a mask on people that keeps us from getting to know the real them but that's safer because it lets us keep our mask on Say, when we experience god's grace we get real and we can let others be real we can value who they are he doesn't just say love must be sincere he goes on and says hate what is evil cling to what is good Now, a reading of these verses comes across like 10 or so statements that could easily go into a PowerPoint list with a checkoff box that we work on. All these things we're supposed to do. But that's not what's intended here. In the Greek language, this is not two sentences. This is a single sentence. And those words hate and cling are actually participles. And so what it actually says is this. Love must be sincere, hating what is evil, clinging to what is good this is the descriptive statement that he will then flesh out with the rest of the paragraph and what he's saying is this is how love shows up if I am loving authentically and unhypocritically I am also loving discerningly now to see the word hate and love in the same sentence for many of us seems like a contradiction when it comes to Christianity after all doesn't the Bible say God is love does the Bible say God is love of course. But it is true that that loving God has things that he hates. In fact, it flows out of that love. The Bible refers to that as a righteous hatred. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 16 gives us a short list of some of the things that God hates, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness, a person who stirs up dissension. Just some of the things that gets under God's saddle. Yeah, why? Because of the impact of those on the people that he loves. Right? James Montgomery Boyce, one of the great preachers of the last generation, his commentary dealing with this this is what he writes if we love God as God loves and we must if we are Christians then there will be things for us to hate just as there will also be things we must love we will hate the violence done to people by whatever name nationalism ethnic cleansing racial or religious pride war keeping the peace But we will love the humble and those who work for peace. Yes, and even those who are guilty of the violence, we will love them because we will want to turn them from their ways. We will hate lying, especially by those who are in important positions of power and influence, CEOs and other heads of corporations, political figures, presidents, and even ministers, We will hate their lies and what they do to others. Yet we will love the truth and will at the same time also love those who are lying, for we will see them as people who need our Savior's grace. That is what love does. Love hates evil, an intentionally strong word. But love also clings to what is good. The Greek word rendered cling in some of its forms means glue. So the idea is that true love will bound us to the good. We will stick to it like epoxy. This is what authentic love looks like. It looks like us hating what God hates because we love so much what God loves. But we never lose sight of the fact that every person, even those that are the bringers of hate and the bringers of evil, are like us in desperate need of God's grace. And like us, are on equal footing at the foot of the cross. And we will see them and we will act in such a way that we can actually bring transformation not just to them, but because they change to the world around us. That's really hard. I, I don't want to be that bringer of grace. I just don't want to be that person. I, I, I want to be the judge of that person. I want to be the God of the Old Testament. We'll talk about that next week. I wanna be that to people that I think are just ugly and who are hurting people that I love, especially the ones that have hurt my kids. Man, I can tell you what goes through my mind about a private moment with some of those folks. That's who I wanna be, and I wanna make it all because God's a righteous judge. But here's the problem. I don't represent the God who judges and brings about judgment and justice in the world. That's not who I represent. I represent the Jesus Christ who gave everything for the completely lost and the worst among us so that we might know grace. I am not the sword and fist of a righteous God. I am the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to this culture. See? And now you don't have to come next week because that's the sermon. So what does this look like now? As we love authentically, how does this flesh itself out? And this is where we end up, verses 10 through 12. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need practice hospitality yeah the way it translates it just feels like a whole list doesn't it i'll take three and eight those will be the ones i'll work on that's uh, not really the intent here he's trying to paint a picture and as a preacher when you look at a verse like this you see a 10, ten week series that's what you that's what you see <laughs> right? but that's not what he's doing this is a paragraph he's describing What this authentic love produces. And so I'm going to organize it around four aspects of authentic love. And the first is unconditional commitment to others in God's family. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. It's really two descriptives of the same thing. A radical commitment to being in community and being involved in each other's lives. How do I know when my interaction with brothers and sisters in the body is truly out of that purity? It's not driven by devotion to myself and what I'm hoping to get out of my actions towards you. How do I know when I'm honestly honoring you above myself? I think that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the constant place where we wrestle. But here's one indicator, I think, in terms of community. Uh, One way I know I'm learning to honor people above myself is when I actually hear their story. Instead of presume and fit them constantly into the story I've written about them in the story I'm telling myself about myself. And then I hear their story, and it changes my story. It changes my understanding of the way things are. And I find myself wanting to help this person, not based on my pedagogy and my ideology and my, my philosophy and my politics. I just want to help them because it's them who need it. You see, I have learned to love them above myself as Christ loved his church, gave himself up for her. That's what it's about. When your worldview is put aside because the story of a brother or sister in Christ tells you there's more to this than you understand. You're learning to honor people above yourself. It's shaping your sense of mission and your understanding of the world. I think the best thing I have done in the eight years I've been serving in the city of Worcester is to listen to people who live here and to listen to pastors who have been committed to being in here from from ethnic diversity all around our city and hear their stories and learn and go to school on them it has transformed many of the assumptions I had about the needy and how to bring good in the name of Jesus and where it comes from and this is not i'm telling you i'm telling you those of you that are have the same background that i have i called myself a white middle-aged man and david Mawson pointed out i really have no right to call myself middle-aged <laughs> so as a white middle-ish uh, two-thirds aged man you know I, I i can think so much more of myself than i ought to And to learn to sit and to love others and to learn from them has been the greatest thing for me. It's transformed my idea of grace and the mission of God. And it's taken me out of the conversation of us and them and this political versus this political. And I no longer represent either the elephant or the donkey. I represent the lamb. But that's another sermon too. <laughs> Unconditional commitment to others and to god 's family. second, spiritual passion and fidelity. never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This is that part of authentic love that takes it takes work to stake to keep that commitment strong i 'm thinking about marriage it's not a, it's not a too different from a marriage commitment. Vitalina and I have been married for 39 years. Yeah. It's been... You can applaud her for sure for hanging in there. And, of course, it's been a piece of cake. Mm. I've shared this story, but it, I think it really hits home in this moment. Bob Frederick, my pastoral mentor years ago, um, I had the privilege of uh, meeting with Bob until he went home to be with the Lord, and for the last two years of his life, he was a widower. His wife, Nani, who had been ill for a long time, uh, uh, in a wheelchair, physically challenged, finally went home to be with the Lord. And I remember this moment so clearly. Portsmouth Circle, uh, right near the Portsmouth Circle, the Panera Bread up there was where we used to meet. And I was there, and Bob came in, and he was a little more... Uh, emotional than usual, and I said, I asked him how he was, and he said, I- I'm good, but tonight, 60 years ago, I was getting ready to marry Nani. It was the night before I was getting married. And I was who he had to, to remember. And so I had the privilege of hearing him talk about it, and he said, you know, I, I remember I was lying in bed that night, and I was just wrought with doubt And I I was wondering if I actually loved her enough to last a lifetime. (laughs) 60 years, pretty good run. And so he went on and he said, and now I know. And I was waiting for him to go, yeah. But as he said, now I know. I didn't. Every day we chose to continue to love each other to fan the passion and the commitment to one another. Every single day we chose, day in and day out, for 69 years, or for whatever it was, 60 years. Yeah. And it's, it's true of oh love. You know, when I come into the body of Christ, I'm born into God's family. That's something God does mystically. But yet the choice to live in grace with one another is a daily commitment. It's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. This is the work of authentic love, committing to it. Because you know what? The people we are called to love, you know what? Sometimes I'm just not going to be lovable. Hard to believe sometimes you're not going to be lovable but you're love worthy because of grace and i need to work on my heart my commission my commitment to living within that unconditional commitment to others spiritual passion and fidelity faithfully enduring all circumstances be joyful in hope patient in affliction faithful in prayer this is where the rubber meets the road this is where we are together in all the circumstances of life this is an all-in experience not an individual experience we are joyful together in all circumstances we reach for that hope that peter reminds us can be found it's a living hope in spite of any circumstance and we find joy in the midst of it we call that out in each other we walk with each other patiently through affliction We are not alone when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not just because God is with us, but because we are together walking with each other through it, and because of that, we can endure even affliction together. How many of you have survived the most devastating experiences because brothers and sisters in Christ walked with you arm in arm through it? That's who we are, but it's not just us walking together. We walk through it on our knees. We are faithful in prayer. Because it's God's presence in all of us that allows us to be joyful in hope and patient in affliction because we are faithfully enduring together all circumstances. And then finally, the last thing, loving authentically is about radical concern and care for each other. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality you know we're so used to arguing with people about christianity we have a whole discipline we refer to it as apologetics and it doesn't mean i'm apologizing for being a christian it means i'm defending the faith you know what the one true apologetic for authentic christianity is jesus put it in john 17 it's not the cleverness of your argument you may win an argument, but lose the battle of someone's soul. It's simply this that we love one another. It's what the early observers of Christianity said to the Roman emperors when they were defending Christianity. Yeah, they, they explained the doctrines, but they ultimately said, look at how they love. That's the one true apologetic for grace, it's the one true apologetic that will and that's who we need to be above everything else beyond all of our differences we are we are asking god to let the journey be something that few of us experience a place where we are many different people different ethnicities different experiences different social classes different levels of education all valuing elevating serving honoring one another above ourselves, and through that, being a part of what God's doing in the city. That, that is not how church normally is right now. With, with all respect and love for the silos of Christians that are around the city, broken up by languages and ethnicities and, and colors, many of which are there because of the evils in our society. That was the only place where they could find a place to really worship God. So with all love and respect for that, I would love at this last third of my life to be a part of a Christian community that looks like what it's going to look like around the throne of heaven. Yeah, thanks. That's what Jesus meant In john 17 when he talked about our being one he didn't mean it one congregation and another congregation he meant all of us one this is how that happens this is how grace wins amen amen Amen. let's worship together